Good morning from WKYT News. I'm Bill Bryant. We welcome you to Kentucky Newsmakers and hope you're enjoying your weekend. Later, the mayor of Richmond, Robert Blythe, will be here to update us on what's happening in that fast-growing city that's home of Eastern Kentucky University. But first, Kentucky's always in a competitive race with other states for jobs and opportunity, but is one of the few states where public universities and colleges have been cut by the state for the last decade. Still, so many want to go to college that the University of Kentucky is dealing with a housing shortage right now ahead of the new year. And the Commonwealth is on track to have degrees or certificates in the hands of 60% of Kentuckians or more by 2030. So we'll talk priorities for higher education today and how will the regional universities now handle this new pension law that gives them the right to exit the system. Joining us first this morning, Dr. Aaron Thompson, who is president of the Council on Post-Secondary Education. He has his own compelling personal story growing up poor in Clay County and making his way to EKU where he realized the promise of college. Thompson speaks around the country on educational opportunity and diversity issues. Laser focus now on getting degrees in the hands of Kentuckians. Dr. Thompson, welcome. We appreciate you coming in today. Thank you, Bill. Thanks for the invitation. And since I invited you, uh, we've had some other issues that have popped <laughs> up uh, that are very timely that, uh, that I want to talk about. The, uh, the, this teacher shortage uh, in Kentucky that's been identified by the Kentucky Department of Education ahead of the new school year, uh, possibly needing 5,000 uh, teachers in Kentucky. Uh, you know, can the college and university system provide that, or what, uh, what do we need to do? Well, we're dedicated to providing that, Bill, but I think it's more, uh, you know, about the pipeline. I think we have to do a better job of aligning good students coming out of high school with the idea that teaching is a wonderful profession and truly a necessary profession for us to have a good society. So I think a part of what we have to call, uh, be called to do is talk about the richness of being a teacher, first of all. Secondarily, the advantages of being a teacher. And thirdly, the idea that, in fact, we uh, represent ourselves in such a way that teaching is truly becoming much more of a professional status that it deserves to be. So can we do it? We can do it, uh, but it's not as easy as it sounds because it's not a one-size-fits-all. There are some areas we have to increase more in the STEM areas and in some of the key focused areas that are needed for our economy, but also, in fact, in some of the regions and some of the school districts, that we need to produce teachers of all different backgrounds. So this is really a tough task, but you know, do I think we're up to it? Absolutely. Well, ironically, uh, you know, this is uh, coming at a time when uh, we are seeing the fact that uh, uh, the, as the universities are, are trying to sort of guide students along, uh, in some cases, uh, the language arts and some of the areas that have been identified as uh, having shortages are areas that are somewhat de-emphasized, it would appear. Well, for sure, and I want to be clear that when we look at arts and humanities, this is not a throwaway degree. This is a degree that causes us to really go deep into the idea of who we are as humans. I mean, it's about humanity. So uh, the social sciences, arts and humanities, some, uh, education, some of the areas that we, in fact, have uh, not focused on as clearly and as completely as we needed to. And in some cases, even we've cut some of those programs because budget cuts had occurred. We have to rethink about how we look at this. Now, for sure, we're going to have to do a better job in post-secondary education of aligning 
the knowledge of these jobs, I mean of these uh, degrees and pro uh, programs to the jobs that are out there. And we can do a better job of doing that. So we are going to refocus on that, but we're going to do also a better alignment toward the ultimate end, ultimate end that many of the folks who go into these programs want to have. And that's a good job. But here again, apparently we have uh, 5,000 jobs available out there and education degrees mm -hmm. are actually an area that is down. Yes. Right? Absolutely, and that's the great thing about data and analytics. It gives us an opportunity to laser focus our attention on how to do this. Now, I do believe we're going to do a better job of aligning ourselves with P12, as I said earlier, to create pathways for many of these young people to go into these areas. But we also are going to have to put more rhetoric around the value of these programs. So there are challenges like that, and there's good news to share as well. Yeah. Uh, uh, best of times, tough times. <laughs> a new report shows Kentucky is on track to get uh, at least 60% of Kentuckians with uh, highly educated, that is with a degree or a certification of some kind, in their hands by 2030. Uh, are we, uh, will we continue to be on track for that? That's Absolutely, yeah. that's my goal, as I told you about nine months ago. Uh, we have a goal of having 60% of our Kentuckians with educational attainment with a post-secondary credential that would be sustainable to the workforce. And what we know is that we have to get to that point to really have a long-term sustainable economy. And to do that, we have to stay on track. And we needed about 1.7% percentage points increase every year. We almost doubled that this year. And our goal is to continue down that path. It'd be great if we got there before 2030. But we know that that's the case. And we're not just talking about all credentials. If you look at, if you look at our numbers, we have expanded tremendously in all the areas. If you look at our STEM areas, which has been a huge focus for us, we've doubled in graduate. Uh, degrees and certificates as a matter of fact and and did almost the same in the undergraduate so we're focused on all the things we need to do to make sure Kentucky is a vibrant economy. When you see such things as the University of Kentucky right now with a housing shortage mm -hmm. uh, because they have a record uh, enrollment among the freshmen, they have more sophomores returning than they have ever had, and they have record uh, overall enrollment. What does that tell you about uh, the eagerness for, for uh, college education? Well, I think it tells me a couple of things. First of all, that students are really still wanting to go to college, and I've got some news that I'm not not super happy about because if you look at uh, Kentucky college going rate of our high school seniors that graduate, it's only about 53.3%. So we've got 47% to play with still of that traditional group, much less the adult populations, which truly we need to get back into a post-secondary credential status. But for University of Kentucky, uh, they have in fact focused heavily on undergraduate education, focused heavily on need-based aid. And I wish that was the case for all of our institutions. We had that many students that want to go to all of them. University of Kentucky may be uh, an exception to the rule, but they are one of a few exceptions that that's happening in Kentucky. We've got people from outside the state that are wanting to come to our campuses like University of Kentucky. But it also tells us that people are getting the message 
that post-secondary matters, that higher education matters. And as you see my little sticker here, bottom line, higher education matters in Kentucky. And so we're inviting those that are in the state to be a part of it and those that want to come in from out of state to be a part of it. To that end, I saw a tweet from you this week, and a lot of others did, that was brief and succinct. And it was about the cumulative effect of these cuts to higher education that have been going on for more than a decade at this point. Uh, it paints a pretty stark picture. Uh, the, the, the accumulated effect is approaching half billion dollars, right? Yeah, when you take inflation into account, it surely is. If you look at nominal dollars, it's about 222 million. Bottom line, you can't sustain quality or even the quantity uh, with those sorts of cuts. And I do appreciate uh, the governor and the legislature focusing on these pension issues to kind of get us to a point whereby we could be funded again. The idea that we cannot have, once again, the kind of economy or a kind of society we want without higher education being a key element to that. And with that, it's going to take more funding to make it happen. Now, as we've shown, we're, we have dedicated ourselves to do a whole lot more with less, but we're at the bone now. So we're going to, we're going to be asking, and I'm not going to be shy about asking, uh, that, that there's reinvestment in higher ed. Are we uh, an outlier among uh, states that are, uh, in fact, uh, investing more in higher education? We are. We are one of uh, uh, very few states, maybe one, South Carolina. I don't remember all the others that in fact are still in the cutting mode but you know we, we uh, are clearly one of a uh, few states that haven't started to reinvesting in higher ed uh, so yes we are. Is there a direct correlation to the cuts in public support uh, to the increase we've seen in tuition in recent years? There is. It's not one-to-one, -one, and people are going to be surprised. And I know in a few minutes you'll, you'll ask me about the listening tour, and I'm going to be very direct with you in my answers to that question. But what we know is that we've only allowed about 60% of the cut makeup to happen through tuition. And, and so we're not doing one-to-one. -one. So with the other, you've had to get efficiencies, you've had to get a variety of other uh, ways of doing business with these cuts. Some have been program cuts. Some have been some of those art programs you mentioned earlier. I know when I was at Kentucky State as interim president, you know, I had to make some dramatic cuts to programs that I didn't feel like doing, but had no choice. So bottom line, yes, there is a direct correlation. Universities have privatized a lot of services, dining, maintenance, they've cut programs, they've taken in more private dollars. Uh, is there still more they can do on the efficiency end, do you think, or have they just about done what they can do? You know, I, I'm going to be not shy by saying we're going to keep looking for efficiencies and probably we'll find more. It's harder to find now, to be honest with you. For me to say there's none left would be disingenuous. I'm sure there's some. I mean, there's ways that we can do uh, what I call the backroom business, maybe, maybe a little more efficiently. But without a doubt, I mean, we're at a point now to where I'm worried that we're going to start looking at those issues even deeper that hurt the quality. Many of our students now, more than ever, need those student supports that we've never had, the advising, the mentoring, the tutoring, all of those other elements that we've uh, known for a while it takes to have good outcomes. So what happens? A lot of times you can't cut faculty. So you have to go where 
the cuts can be taken and that's what staff and many of those staff fall in those areas so we we've probably uh, looked hard enough where we don't have much more to find. Dr. Aaron Thompson is with us. He's president of the Kentucky Council on Post-Secondary Education overseeing the public colleges and universities. More questions for him. He'll tell us about a listening tour that he took across the state. And then later, Richmond Mayor Robert Blythe on growing a, uh, managing a growing city. We'll be back in a moment. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Dr. Aaron Thompson is with us. He is the president of the Council on Post-Secondary Education. Uh, in other words, a big job to uh, help uh, guide our universities and colleges uh, in the state. You, uh, when you took this job, you immediately embarked on a, a listening tour. You went across uh, the state and went to campuses and other venues. Uh, what were people out there telling you? You know, we wanted to find out when I took this job, I really believe that the best way to find out knowledge about how you should do the job is find out from the people that you're serving. And so we went on seven listening tours the first part of the year, and we've got seven or eight or nine more. I don't even know how many more keeps added for the second half. And we wanted to talk to business and industry. We wanted to talk to P-12 students, teachers. Uh, we wanted to talk to post-secondary folks. We wanted to talk to families about their feelings and thoughts about higher ed and and we wanted to listen more than we talked and we found out some interesting stuff I mean one is this idea of affordability many students aren't going because they don't believe that they can afford to go and a part of that is just a lack of knowledge and in some cases transparency on our part about the cost between what the actual cost is versus what the sticker cost is so we give a lot of grants and scholarships so we need to do a better job there uh, the, so affordability is an issue on that, on that, what I call the idea of affordability versus the real affordability issue that many students can't afford to go. And we're going to have to take that in consideration. Uh, the other item we heard a lot about was what is college? Many people say, well, I'm not college material. I can't go to college. When I talk with them, they believe college is this traditional four-year degree you know, where they're staying on campus. Well, in fact, if you get a one-year credential at our post-secondary facilities, Kentucky Community and Technical College, as an example, or a two-year degree, that's college. And they were quite amazed to hear that being the case. You heard a lot from business and industry who say they want to be a part of helping uh, us do what we need to do, and we said we want to be a part of helping them to do what they need to do. Uh, Dr. Thompson, is it your finding that sometimes if you can get a, a student's feet wet, if you mm -hmm. can get them in there, and you know, they say they're not college material, and then they get going, that then they get going? And, and go on to, and, and get to very engaged in, in, in getting a degree. Well, you and I both know this. As a first, I'm a first-generation high school student. And when I went to college, I had no idea what I was doing. I just knew I was willing to jump in the middle of it. But so many of my cohort did, were not. And what I know is once you get there, you realize it's about consistency. It's about work. It's about showing up. And if we can get students to be engaged, and we're doing that with the dual credit, but still we got to get more of those folks to campus to see the campuses also, uh, then I think there's a greater likelihood they'll go. If we get more students with dual credit hours coming into college, they'll be more likely uh, to want to finish out. The new pension relief law that uh, was passed and signed this week, uh, 
uh, allows the regional universities a chance to escape from the state retirement system. Uh, do you anticipate they face some pretty tough decisions in the next few months? Well, they do. And we first of all appreciate that we clearly got the relief uh, this time out. I think the governor and the legislature for really putting forth a bill. I think the Democrats put forth one too. Uh, that was good. The idea though that we're still going to have to find out what it's going to cost to get out of it before we get out of it. We care a lot about those of our employees that have retired and those that are with us. So we're putting those folks first. But yet we are very, I mean if we hadn't got this uh, rate freeze, we would be cut 40 plus million dollars again starting this July 1. So we are uh, really happy that we have that. Now moving forward, we're going to have to figure out what that looks like over the next year. Priorities for the upcoming legislature. I, I'm going to think funding is uh, yeah, funding, <laughs> is, funding is a big one. But we're, we're going to say also we're going to live out what you've asked us to do. They've asked us to do a performance funding model. We've done that and it's working. We're going to ask that you fund that model now. The best way to get performance out of a performance funding model is to put funding in it. So we're going to ask for that. We're going to ask for asset preservation. We've got state buildings falling down around us so we need to do that. We're probably going to ask for bucks for brains as you saw in my tweet this morning and we're going to ask you know we need to help our campuses especially our regional campuses and some of our KCTCS campuses really focus on specific mission that would cause other people to come from out of state to be a part of it so we may ask for a little money to help me to uh, promote that to that end. Thanks for coming as always. Well, thank you, Bill, it. for the invitation we'll as always. Keep up to date. Thank and you. stay with us now. Richmond Mayor Robert Blythe will join us next on Kentucky Newsmakers. Welcome back to Kentucky Newsmakers. Richmond is the seat of fast-growing Madison County and the home of Eastern Kentucky University. Also the anchor of the Richmond Micropolitan Area that includes more than 100,000 people whose livelihoods and shopping patterns and even health care revolve around the city. With growth come challenges and those often end up at City Hall where Robert Blythe is mayor. He made history last November when he was elected Richmond's first African-American mayor, but it's the capstone of a long career in his hometown that includes service on the city commission as a professor and a minister and in other capacities. Mayor Blythe has long been seen as one who works to find compromise and solutions when the issues get tough. He joins us today and we thank the mayor for being here. Appreciate it very much. Well, thank you very much for the opportunity. I look for every occasion where I can sell Richmond. Well, some months on the job now. From your perspective, how's it going? seven down and 41 to go. <laughs> but who's counting? Well, it's going well. And um, as I often tell our employees, uh, they're doing a tremendous job and they really are. And uh, not that that's their intent, but they make me look good. So I appreciate all that our employees do for the citizens of Richmond. Let's talk about uh, growth pressure. And, you know, central Kentucky is growing. We, yes. We've talked to the mayor of Georgetown this week. Uh, they're having to increase uh, the uh, sewage treatment capacity over there. Uh, in Richmond, you have new streets that are coming, yes. it seems, uh, monthly that are coming into town. Developers wanting more property annexed. Yes. And uh, sometimes you hear from people on all sides of that because when you make an adjustment, uh, it impacts somebody. Yes. How do you manage that? Well, one of the things I've always tried to encourage people to do is not to shout at each other, but to sit down at a table, present your issues, 
other side. And, and sometimes, you know, strangely enough, that has gotten me into trouble uh, when one side feels that, well, he's going to take that side. No, I want to hear all sides of an issue and have those sides, so to speak, to listen to each other. And then hopefully we can come to a place that, as I said in the most re recent meeting of our commission, that is, that is right and good for the people and, uh, and certainly benefits all who are involved. How much of a balancing act is growth? I mean, people uh, want to come and move to your city and they want to see you expand the boundaries of exactly. your city. Exactly. You know, <clears throat> I've been in Richmond all my life. I've lived there all my life. And I can remember when I was a kid, there were uh, areas that were, as we said, in the country course what was in the country in those days is now inside the city limits of Richmond along with that come the problems or the matters to be dealt with uh, for example in on the country roads there were no sidewalks one of the biggest issues we have right now is the walkability of, of the city of Richmond but there are those what were roads which are now streets which don't have sidewalks uh, growth is good so long as it can be managed and uh, managing that has been uh, a great challenge obviously for us. Uh, there are those who want to develop and develop and uh, that's a good thing perhaps so long as it fits within the big plan, the big picture. So we're trying. Early on you talked about uh, that one of your highest priorities would be cleaning up the city. Yes. Uh, how are those initial efforts going? Well, they're going well, and I'll say this, uh, not perhaps as quickly as I would like to see. You know, there are issues such as um, how often does the street sweeper run and what time of day, uh, because there are times when I can see little paths around cars and so on. So we may have to manage that better by uh, setting times, specific times for that. Um, our public works department does a tremendous job. One of the big cleanup uh, difficulties we have is uh, ask, is getting the cooperation of folks in putting out large trash items. But we're working on that with uh, the contractor and uh, the franchise holder and also with our public works department. One of the things we've adopted is if it's there and it looks bad, we know that we have a contract with someone. However, let's just get it up and get it out of the way. The City Commission recently adopted some new rules for nuisance properties, and, and this is particularly uh, was aimed at uh, commercial entities such as hotels, yes. uh, where there are repeated problems, repeated uh, criminal activity, yes. perhaps, and police calls. Yes. And uh, do you believe that that can effectively address those issues? We're hoping that it will, and certainly when we pass an ordinance like that, we tried to put in it, as folks call it, the teeth that our law enforcement department will need in order uh, that our codes enforcement department will have at hand so that they can actually do something, can uh, actually uh, affect penalties and uh, when folks are not compliant, not cooperative. So we're, we're going to watch that very closely to see how it works. It's just been a couple of weeks now, but, but we want to get that underway. How important is the redevelopment of downtown to you? Redevelopment. Uh, not sure exactly what you mean by redevelopment, but, but bringing it back, so to speak, to the, the thriving entity it was when I was a kid is extremely important to me. With no neglect of other retail and so on in our town, 
But I think downtown is a key for any thriving city. We have uh, several offices, of course, but I'd like to see a bit more retail, a bit more uh, dining opportunity, uh, perhaps some other activities which will bring folks down so that they will want to dine. But that is a, a priority of mine. There at one time was a, a big ticket item of doing a, a pavilion downtown yes. and the parking structure and all of that. And, yes. uh, and you, the city, it appeared, almost got there. Yes. Almost pulled the trigger on yes. that and then backed off. Yes. Uh, was that a good decision? Let me, yeah, I, at the time it was, and, and I think most of the people of Richmond agreed that that's not exactly the direction. And let me explain it like this. When the uh, firm that presented us with the proposal gave a presentation before our commission, it was an animated uh, presentation, and there were people at the fountain that was proposed, people walking up and down the streets and so on. I, as I often do, asked a silly question. I asked the uh, person who was contracted, I asked the engineers, who are those people? In other words, you're saying there will be people who will be uh, running to get to the fountain. There will be folks with babies and their strollers and folks who want to read a book, bring their lunch over. Who are those people? Are those people who came downtown to shop, do business at the banks and in the attorney's offices and so on? Or are these just some stick figures you stuck in there just to say that there would be people? And the guy actually laughed and he said, well, you know, we just put them in there. So you got to figure that out first. Gotta, that's right. So that's my priority. Let's get the people down there and then they'll want a fountain. You have also uh, said you want to empower the police on uh, drug enforcement and then also, speaking of health, the, uh, you have uh, pushed a proclamation uh, against teenagers using vaping products, yes. a local uh, yes. pronouncement on Along that. Along with the uh, Madison County Fiscal Court and the county judge executive there, and uh, then in a couple of weeks when they meet the uh, city council and mayor of Berea. Metro Madison Richmond uh, <laughs> government comes up from time to time. Yes. A possible merger. It would be a, a city of close to 100,000 people if yes. that happened, third largest uh, in Kentucky. Uh, we, are you supportive? At this time, I don't mind saying that I'm not. And, but but I, as I tell others, if, if you have a position, always be able to tell why. One of the things, I'm not yet comfortable, uh, well, there's no specific proposal, first of all, so right. that's a broad area. Sure. But uh, I know that there is such a strong cultural uh, consideration, for example, both cities. You know, Strangely enough, I, I jokingly will say, perhaps for some we're still fighting the Civil War. Positions of Berea and Richmond is the Battle of Richmond, you know, and that kind of thing to be considered. But, uh, but I think there are areas, when you look at such things as zoning, planning, when you look at such things as right now, the animal shelter services, when you look at several other services that are provided by all three entities, there may come a time when we feel that we can do it more efficiently by specific service as opposed to just an overall, at this time, overall merger. Mayor, thanks for coming. We appreciate it. My pleasure. Thank you for joining us for Kentucky Newsmakers. Make it a good week ahead.